think it was Martin Luther, he made a comment, something to the effect of, uh, there's just as much value and God is just as glorified in the milkmaid milking the cow as in the pastor who is preaching. And God is. God absolutely is glorified in our work. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. I think many of you know it's Labor Day. Um, so I, th- I thought, hey, I'll look up a little bit about Labor Day because honestly I didn't know much about it except it's in September. And I thought it would be kind of a, a simple story behind it, uh, but there's not. <laughs> as, as most historical events, there's not. Uh, Labor Day, in case you didn't know, f- was first celebrated by the states before the federal government. That, that usually seems to be the way it happens. New York uh, was the first state to, to hold a Labor Day celebration, September 5th, 1882. And the idea was to give a general holiday to the laboring classes. And from there, it kind of picked up steam and, and, and became a national holiday in 1894 when Grover Cleveland signed it into law. And, and when he signed it into law, there was some arguments in, in papers, you know, sort of like us in Ohio. We still argue over who is actually the first in flight. But, you know, if you flew from the dunes in North Carolina, it obviously makes us the first. I mean, you know, it just does. So there was, there was an ongoing debate about who should get the credit for uh, Labor Day. And I find this interesting. It was between two gentlemen, one named McGuire and another one named McGuire, uh, <laughs> but of, of no relation and actually spelled their names a little bit differently of, of who should get the pen. That, that it, it really was. Who, who should get the pen and the recognition for Cleveland signing in the law uh, of Labor Day? And I, I think in the end, uh, most people have, have settled with Matthew McGuire and, and, and what he did, but let's not you know throw any shade at Peter this morning and whatever he did as well for our holiday that we have tomorrow. But we have a holiday tomorrow from work. And so today we're going to spend this morning looking at that four-letter word that we don't like in, our, in the message. And we're going to go through several passages of Scripture and, and look at a, a condensed theology of work this morning because it is there. And we're going to look at how God, man, and work all come together. And so what I want us to do this morning as, as we study that question it's just five points, and, and we're going to be in different passages, but we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis 1. And this is where we got to start. And as I said, when we preach through Genesis, Genesis 1 is so foundational on many, many, many levels, including this one. And the first thing that you need to see this morning is that God created work. Okay, God created work. Genesis 1.1, you know that, right? You, you, you could probably recite that to me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when we talk about that verse, we focus on that word created because we know what's coming later. We know that coming later is 
God putting the sun in the sky and putting the mountains on the dry land and, and, and the oceans and the fish in the oceans and the animals on the land, the birds in the air, the stars. We, and we focus on the fact that there is creation. We, we, we think about the outcome of it. What I think we failed to realize there in that is when it says that God created, God worked. God worked. Now, I, granted, <laughs> I, I, I got to put this in there. Granted, he had the ability to speak and it be done. <laughs> that, that, that would be nice, right? We, we all would love to have that power to go to our job tomorrow and say, sheets, balance yourself, and, and, and they're balanced. <laughs> we, we, we would love that. We don't have that capability, but God did work. He, he, he did work. You go to John 1. And in verse 3, it says, uh, talking about Jesus as the instrument of creation, it says that all things were made through him. So what, what we see then is God at work and God creating work. Work goes back to God. Now, whether it is uh, instituted by him, when we think of governments and family and marriage, God, God institutes that. Or whether it is he created work, I don't really know which is the best way to put it, but it all goes back to God. And as you go back and you look at this and you see it, what we find out is not only does God create work, but God becomes the pattern for us to follow. Right? He, he demonstrates to us. That he works. He worked on day one and day two and day three, all the way up to day six. And then on day seven, he rested. So when God, and what we're going to see as, as him begin, as our example is, he's not calling us to do something that he himself does not do. Now, the, one of the beautiful things about God as well is he hasn't stopped working. God is still at work today. God is still at work holding up his creation. God is still at work working in the hearts of, of people. God has never stopped working. Now, I know for us, we, we, we hit 40 hours in, in, in 10 minutes, and hey, <laughs> we're going to stop. I've, I've, I've worked my week. I'm, I'm going home. But God continues to work. He didn't work, put creation into existence, put us into existence, and then just stop and let it do whatever. God still works today. And he created it, and he gave it to us. And then what we find, secondly, is that God designed us to work. He actually designed us to work. Look at how this works. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. You, again, familiar passages. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Again, we go to that passage, and we use that, and we understand that, that God made us. We are created in God's image, that he, he breathed the breath of life into us, and, and that we are a reflection of his image. At the same time, we probably have not thought before the connection to the first point. Part of us being made in God's image is to work like God worked. And so as he creates us, in us, creates us in his image, he designs us to work just like we saw him working at the beginning of Genesis 1. 
when he tells Adam in, in verse 28, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. You go to Genesis 2.15 and it explicitly states there, just in case you, you can't see it in verse 28, but it is where he talks about have dominion over the earth and, have, and subdue it. That, that's, that's work. Genesis 2.15, though, a little bit more explicitly. It says, he took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. Man was designed to work. And when God put Adam in there, he didn't put Adam in there just to float around the garden, be lazy all day, sleep underneath the tree, get up, go down, splash in the river, come out and sleep underneath another tree. He put him in there and he said, work the garden. All of you know <laughs> what it is like to work a garden. So here's Adam. He's, he's digging. He's tilling. He's cultivating. He's pruning. He's tending. He's watering. He, he's, he's picking. He's, he's somehow trying to figure out how to, how to keep it. You, you know, he's doing everything that you would think would need to be done in a garden. But here's where our disconnect comes from. Here's, here's where we, we don't quite like to think that we've been designed to work because Genesis 2.15 is the picture of perfect work. We don't know what that looks like. We do know what it looks like when we start a garden and then we leave it. We know what that looks like, you, right? You, you know what, it, what, what your yard looks like when you leave it for a week and a half to, to, to mow. But here's Adam in, in, in perfect work, and, and everything that he is doing is perfect, but everything that we're doing is impacted by the fall in Genesis 3. See, we, I think we've got it wrong someplace in, in that we think that work was a result of the fall. And that's not true. The fall did not bring work into being. Work existed before the fall. So what happens is after the fall is the nature of the work now changes. Work is now hard. Work is now difficult. When God is talking to Adam after the fall, he tells him, and, and I don't think we should overlook this verse, right? He tells them, he says, look, you, you've still got to work the ground, but it's now, it's, it's going to be pain you shall eat of it. Thorns and, and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And then it says in verse 19, right? By the sweat of your face. Sweat dripping into your eyes when you're outside working should not hurt, hurt that bad. Right? Y'all, please tell me some of you experienced that. You're out there working in your garden, you're working in your yard, you're doing something on a hot, sweaty day, and all of a sudden you're working, and that, that little bead, of, you feel it coming down your face. And you're like, man, I hope that sweat doesn't drop in my eye. And it drops in your eye, and you drop everything that you're doing. You're like, ah! You know, it's just like, it, it, is, it is disproportionately painful and has a disproportionate ability to stop exactly what you're doing while you're working. <laughs> 
God kind of knew what he was talking about when he said, by the sweat of your face, you're going to eat. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the work that we do now. It's hard. It, 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 it's corrupted. But we're still called to work. Work originally created was righteous. And, and now it still is, but, but over the righteousness, it's sprinkled with the unrighteousness and the results of the fall. But we still have to do it. Why? Because we were designed to work. And when you think about that, and you think about what he is called, what God specifically tells Adam to do, you also see another mandate that maybe you've not thought about before, and that is we are called actually to be producers more so than consumers. Now, yeah, yeah, we consume. I mean, even in that passage in Genesis 3, God admits that, that Adam is going to be a consumer. Even before the fall, Adam uh, was a consumer. God says you can eat of every plant except for the tree of life. Yet the emphasis wasn't on the consuming. The emphasis was on the producing. The emphasis was on bringing the garden about to produce a crop or a flower or whatever. Now, we like to consume stuff, right? right? I mean, we like to consume a tomato, you know, between two pieces of bread and, and some Duke's mayonnaise. We, we love a good tomato sandwich. But, man, it takes a lot of effort to produce that tomato. <laughs> but that's what we're called to do. And honestly, when you think about it, even though we may not enjoy work at some times, even though it is hard at some times, even though it took a lot to bring that tomato plant from the beginning all the way to where I can have a tomato sandwich to produce it, there's great satisfaction in the end when you pick the tomato off the plant and eat the tomato sandwich. We find satisfaction more in what we produce and what we do than what we consume. Why? Because God designed us to work. And if God designed us to work, you know what comes next? God expects us to work. So God created or established work. God designed us to work. God expects us to work. But what, what's the problem? The problem is our sinful nature. The problem is the fall. The problem is we don't like to work. If given the option, I imagine most people would choose not to work, right? I mean, we're drawn to that. Even though we're designed, we're supposed to be producers. If given the option, right, everyone, that's one of his thoughts. Well, if, they, if I could win the lottery, I'd, I'd stop working, right? I, I know the prayer is, God, let me win the lottery. It won't swallow me. I'll go back to work the next day, but no, <laughs> If you get a big inheritance, oh, I can stop working now, right? You, you, even when you work, you, can, you continue to work thinking maybe one day I'll get to retire, right? We all got to have dreams, right? But God expects us to work. And if we don't work, have you ever thought that if we don't work since God has created and designed us to work, that what we're actually doing is insulting God for the way that he created us? He really is. I mean, that, that, that's what we're doing. Exodus 31 kind of gives us an example of this. Exodus 31, 1 through 11. And, and, and this is the part of Exodus where 
the, the tabernacle is being described. And God is saying, this is how you're going to build the tabernacle, and this is how you're going to uh, build the, the bronze basin, and this is how you're going to build the altar of incense and the altar of showbread and, and the Ark of the Covenant. This, this is how you're going to, to build all this. And in, Genesis, or excuse me, in Exodus 31, we're introduced to two men. Verse 2 says, See, I have called by my name Bezalel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him, O Eliab, the son of Amashmach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all... I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. And then verse 7 and following, it lists everything. And then verse 11, drop down to the very end, it says, According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. What, what do you see in that verse? You see in that verse God expecting his people to work. That's That's... That's what he does. He, he gave them talents. He gave them abilities. What did he, he designed them to work. And now he says, the, the ability and the way I designed you, go and use that. And you may think, well, Gary, this is a really special circumstance because it says, you know, he, he's given the spirit of God to these men and, and, and he, he's building his, his tabernacle. So he must really just expect super special certain people to work. And no, that's not it. He expects everybody to work. And yes, we're introduced to them. And yes, they have abilities. But God makes it very clear. You're supposed to go make that artistic design. You're supposed to go work in that silver. You're supposed to go build the tabernacle. And he makes it clear throughout Scripture as well that we are supposed to work. When you read the passages of Scripture, have you ever noticed how many times when God appears to somebody or God starts talking to somebody that that person is working? I mean, I mean just, just go through it. What was David doing when Samuel came to anoint him as king? He was working. He was, he, he was out tending his sheep. What about Moses? What was Moses doing? He was out tending his sheep. Yeah, you, got, you had a lot of shepherds back then. What about Gideon? What was Gideon doing? Remember Gideon? What was he doing? Other than hiding. He was threshing wheat. He was working. Okay, here, here's an easy one. What, 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 what about Amos? What was Amos doing? Okay, the next one will be easier. Amos was a fig dresser. He, he tended a fig orchard. Here's your easy one. Uh, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. What were they doing? They were fishing. Over and over throughout Scripture, you see people working. Right? Paul was a tent maker. God expected his people to work. He designed us and created us for work. He expected us to work. And you know who else worked? Jesus. Right? Je Jesus, we, we know he, he, he worked where? Where did he grow up? He grew up in a carpenter shop watching his dad, watching Joseph make cabinets and doors and whatever. 
Is, is this the carpenter <laughs> from Nazareth? He worked. You know what else he did? He, he, he also worked by doing God's work. John 9, 4, uh, 9, 4, Jesus says, I must work the works of my Father. I, I must work the works of my Father. I must do what God has called me to do. So not only are, are we expected to work and use our talents and abilities in vocational, you, you mean to tell me that, that Bazael, after he got finished with the tabernacle, he didn't go out and hang out a shingle that says, hey, I'm a craftsman in fine silver. Your anniversary is next week. Levi, wouldn't you like to buy Ruth a nice silver ring? Bring it to me and I'll make one. At the same time, while he expects us to work vocationally, he expects us to work to advance his kingdom. Jesus came to do the works of his Father who sent him. We're called to do the works of God. We're called to work to expand the kingdom as well. Because if we don't work either vocationally or to expand the kingdom of God, what we find out as we look in 2 Thessalonians, you don't need to turn there, but you can jot it down. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 10, as, as Paul is writing, one of the problems that he's facing is, is there's some people in there who, who aren't working. They've become idle. They've become busy body, bodies. And they're, they're bringing... This, not destruction, but they're bringing uh, just chaos into the body of believers. He writes you, he writes, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat." For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. There, there's a danger there if we don't do the work that God expects us to do. If we have nothing to do, nothing to produce, and we're not exercising what we are designed to do, then Paul says, you're going to end up being a busybody going around trying to put your nose in other people's business, not doing anything, and causing disharmony and, and, and discord in the body. So he says to those, hey, don't do that. Go work. Because you know what happens when you go and work? You don't have time for the other stuff. But again, you saw in those passages, Paul was referencing back to the fact that, that he wasn't doing that just so that they would say, all right, you know, well, you did it, you know, just because of who you are. He said, no, this, this is what we're supposed to do. This is God's plan. God's plan for you to eat is for you to work. Now, notice also, just, just a, a, a quick side note, those verses have nothing to do with ability. Those verses say nothing about if someone is unable. It says that they are unwilling. God made provisions throughout his word for those who are unable. Take care of the orphans and the widows. God makes it clear. 
that if people are unable to do something, then the church, his, his people, take care of them. It's, it's a willingness issue. Why? Because God expects them to work. God expects you to work. Fourth, God is glorified in our work. God is glorified in our work. In everything that we do, in, in all types of work, not just what is religious. All right, God is glorified through the teacher who works, through the banker who works, through the, the grocery clerk who works, through the painter. When we work, we glorify God. Right? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 makes it very clear. It says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So everything that we do, every vocation that we have, the, the multitude, the myriad of vocations. And I, let's, again, caveat, there are some that are, they, let's not talk about some of the vocations that are immoral. All right? Let's just talk about uh, generally. Okay? Everything that you're supposed to do, you do to the glory of God. You teach to the glory of God. You paint to the glory of God. How can you do that? Because it doesn't seem like painting is a way to glorify God. Well, it does if you understand that God created you to work, designed you to work, and in your work, you are actually imitating the one who designed you. It brings glory to God because you are reflecting part of who God is. Does that make sense? You're actually... Showing the world, hey, look, this is what God created me to do. And I'm going to glorify him in doing that. Everything. I think it was Martin Luther. There's, uh, you know, sometimes you see quotes ascribed to people who lived a long time ago. I think he made a comment, something to the effect of, uh, there is just as much value in God as just as glorified in the milkmaid milking the cow as in the pastor who is preaching. And God is. God absolutely is glorified in our work. Because he is the one, just like we saw in Exodus 31, who gives us the abilities, who gives us the talents. If you're able to do something, yes, somebody maybe took you under their wing and, and helped you understand and said, hey, you use this tool this way and this tool this way and this goes here and this goes there and you hold this. I, I'm, I'm not neglecting that. But some of us could get that same instruction and it still not look right. Right? My, my grandfather could take pieces of wood and put them together and make a really nice bookcase. I could go and do the same thing, and you know it's a bookcase, but that's about all you know it is. I, I can't explain it other than when something has been done by someone who has the ability and the talent, you see it, you know it. So when you use that talent and ability, you glorify God, right? He, he gave us spiritual gifts as well, and we use those for what? To glorify God, to build up the body, to encourage one another as a way to, to glorify God. Everything that we do, everything that we have, and all our work is a way to glorify God. And while I reminded you a minute ago that, that Jesus 
work as well. Jesus glorified God in his work also. That, that's why he was here. John 13, 31 through 35. Jesus is, is talking. It says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God has glorified him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. So here Jesus is talking. He's going to the cross is what he's talking about. And he's, he, he's pointing to what is going to happen. And he says, when I go to the cross, God is going to be glorified in my atoning work on the cross. Don't get hung up on... I can't even use the word created because then people are going to accuse me of heresy. Jesus was not created. But if you follow through this morning and you, you, you look and just kind of hang those, those words, even Jesus created, he was not, he is eternal. He was designed to come do a work. He was expected to come and do that work. And through his work on the cross, he's going to glorify God. Now watch this. This is how it all ties in. And it ties in with the last point. We rest in the finished work of Christ. We rest in the finished work of Christ. It, it, it's a little bit ironic that Labor Day is celebrated by a day of rest, right? <laughs> you, you know, Labor Day is not, hey, let's work 12 hours instead of 8. Labor Day is, let's work no hours instead of 8. Right? That, that, we, we celebrate that. And, and God established that pattern. Six days you work, one day you rest. But you know what is better than even resting from, from physical rest? To be able to rest from trying to save yourself. Because there is no amount of work you can do. You can't pray hard enough. You can't give enough. You can't do enough. You can't be nice enough. You can't change the world enough that will save you from your sins. So when we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, we automatically find rest from any type of works-based salvation. And at the same time, that confession has implications with our everyday work, with our vocational work. And here's how it ties in. Because whether we want to admit it or not, we esteem some jobs over others, do we not? We esteem the surgeon above the person who cleans the OR. We don't want to admit it because it makes us look bad, makes us feel bad, but we do. We esteem the teacher over the person at Walmart. Right? We, we, we in our minds, we have a hierarchy of, of jobs that are better jobs to have. But here's the thing. If we do that, what we end up doing is we then, not only do we say that the job is better, but then we esteem the person who does the surgery above the person who cleans the OR. We've now said that this person is a better person because of what they're able to do than what this person does. 
If you continue to follow that logic, then God must love this person more or esteem this person more in their vocation than this person over here. However, Jesus' death on the cross and our ability to rest in his atoning work on the cross, his completed work on the cross, levels the playing field because it now says that anyone can come and call on Christ as Lord and Savior. Anyone who does that finds, yes, rest from their desire to, to save themselves, right? Hebrews, if you're, I didn't give you the passage for this, Hebrews 4, 8 through 11. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter into that rest so that none may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What, what rest is that? The atoning work where Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy and, and labored and I will give you rest. I am going to give you. You're working, but I'm going to give you rest in my atoning work on the cross. And now that that is available to all people. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter what you do, right? And for us today in society, it's very important what you do. When we meet somebody, there are two questions. What's your name followed by what do you do? Jesus says, it doesn't matter anymore what you do because even though you're designed to work, you're expected to work, you're created to work, you glorify God in work, you don't determine who you are by what you do. Our satisfaction and our value is found in Christ and His work that enables us us to rest from trying to save ourselves. So all the way back in the beginning, God shows us that we're supposed to work, that he expects us and he designs us to work. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and follows that same pattern. And in doing so, he takes his work and he says, now my work is the superior, the greatest work. It is the highest work. It is the most esteemed work because through my work, you now have rest. And we determine who we are now by who we belong to. And while tomorrow we can rest from our physical labors, it is in Christ that we find our eternal rest and salvation. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transformed lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Dot com.
Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.